You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. I know everybody's favorite book, Micah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. And I love how it starts. Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth. The Lord has an indictment against his people, and he will contend with Israel. O my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery, and I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, O my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him, and what happened from Shittim. Shittim. As in Tim is shy, like that's how we're going to use that word, and to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? There's exaggeration happening here. Will the Lord be pleased with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? My parents would have given me immediately. The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. He has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Absolutely none of those things. But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. And then in Matthew chapter 5. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Disciples are always willing to climb a mountain to hear what Jesus has to say. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. This is the word of the Lord. Lord Jesus, we pray for the city of Beacon, the Hudson Valley, and the surrounding area this morning. We pray that this area would see light in your light, that our opinions would be formed by yours, that our hopes would be formed by yours. Pray that every church would have people entering it, looking for the revelation of Jesus Christ. And when we leave today, I pray that we would leave as a river of life, looking for opportunities to water the thirsty ground that we walk toward. We pray for every house of worship today, that somehow, some way, it would lead to Jesus. We thank you, and we ask all of this in your name, and everybody said, amen. We're starting a series today called Valuable, a series with the goal of imaging the Father's heart in our hearts and not merely being a people that have stances and values. There is something very off about a church that is more proud of what they stand against than who they're living for. There's something very unhealthy about a church that holds so tightly onto their own values that they hold very loosely people who don't share them. 
we're not able to value until our heart has been imaged after the heart of the Father, who valued us when we had absolutely no values, ethics or morals. Has anybody in this room earned your salvation with your ethics and morals? At least we're not liars in the house, which is great, and we're moving somewhere. God isn't looking for stances and religious commitments if the pursuit of his heart is lacking. I said this on Wednesday night at the Bible study. Y'all need to come to Wednesday night Bible studies because actual prophetic things happen and are said. And I'm going to repeat this because it wasn't in my notes. It's something that dawned on me while I was talking and felt that it was very prophetic. And we all know the story of the prodigal son. Father has two sons. The younger brother decides he wants to go off, cast off all restraint, live however he wants to live, liquidate his father's assets, and he goes off and does that. The older brother stays home and does everything right. The younger brother comes home, and the father doesn't meet the younger brother with judgment or harsh consequences, but meets him with the love of a father who is receiving back his son as if from the dead. This is good news that Jesus is telling this story. This is how God views us. But something interesting happens. The older brother is not happy with the father. This struck me on Wednesday night. The older brother has done everything right and has somehow lost the heart of the father in his pursuit of right living. Well, how do you know he lost the heart of the father? Because the heart of the father was always for the younger brother. And the minute the father's heart burst in excitement over the younger brother and the older brother got mad at the father for loving the younger brother back, now we know that there's a way in which you can be so obsessed with right living that you become more of a worshiper of your own morality than you do the heart of the father. And now all of a sudden the father has to go outside and try to get you to come back in. And it seems the five feet from the field to the door was a longer trip for the older brother to travel than the younger brother who came from miles and miles away. I don't want Salem to be that kind of church. Do we have constitutional stances on things? Of course we do. It's responsible when you're running an organization in the earth to have standards and, and, and have uh, stances and values and things that you believe about marriage, about the world, about morality and all these things. But it's a document. If inside that document is not the all-out pursuit of every soul that we come across, then we have lost the heart of the Father. So if we're going to have values... We need to have the ability to have those values. And that's what I want to start talking about today. I just want to read a quick verse from Deuteronomy before we fully shoot into what Micah was saying and what Matthew is saying. Deuteronomy 24 says this, You shall not pervert the justice due to the sojourner or the fatherless. You shall not pervert the justice due to the sojourner or the fatherless. Or take a widow's garment and pledge. Why shouldn't you do those things? Because you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you not to forget about justice. There is something that the church has missed for a very long time, and that is this. Yes, Jesus saves us on the cross from sin and death. Yes, we are saved from those things. 
But we have walked away content with being saved, never realizing that the way we were saved is also a revelation of the way God wants us to live. He doesn't just want us to be saved. He wants us to live the way that he saved us. How did he save us? He gave us all of his best and didn't consider our unworthiness in giving it to us. He gave us all of his best and didn't consider our unworthiness in giving it to us. You want to know what real freedom is? Real freedom is the ability to give somebody the best of what you have and not get caught up thinking if they deserve it or not. Well, how can you say that that's freedom? Because that's Jesus. And Jesus is freedom. He is what freedom looks like. Jesus is what the free life looks like. The free life can hang on a cross. The free life can be persecuted. The free life can be told he's not worth it. But he's so free that he can still be a revelation of the Father even though things are happening that he doesn't want to have happen. Can you imagine having that kind of freedom where life can go totally askew from the way you wanted it and yet you're still free to give people your best anyway? That is real freedom. So let's look at the Micah text. God says, I've done all these things for you, and what are you going to give me? Oil, religious observances, sacrifices. You're going to obey the Torah back to me because I gave you everything. And God is saying, I don't want that. What I want back from you is a heart that is starting to look like mine. I don't care how loud you clap if your heart isn't clapping. I don't care how much offering of praise you bring if you're not bringing an offering of relationship to your neighbor. I don't care how much money you put on the altar if you think there's people in the world that don't deserve it. Okay? I, you don't need to say amen to everything. Some of, some of this, I hope, hurts a little bit. You know, when, yeah. It's okay if it stings. This stings me I'm devastated by this message. I'm devastated by what happened Wednesday night. We have a podcast. I'm asking you to listen to it. I had a personal moment on Wednesday night. This is crushing me because I don't live this way. And I have the beautiful task of telling you out loud that I don't live this way as a way of pastoring in a healthy manner. I don't live this way. This, this sucks to me. Because I don't live like this. So I'm, I'm in desperate need of every word of this. This is coming out of my tears, not out of my intellect. Stances without cruciform love are really celebrations of who we're not, not mission for who we're for. There are people who God can call to a church and they want to know, what is your stance on X, Y, and Z before we come here? Terrible. We just receive reckless grace from the Father. We mess it up all the time, fully expecting that scandalous grace is going to be there, and then we don't give a drop if people aren't living the way we think they should be living, as if people who don't walk with the Lord should be living the way that we're living. Newsflash, they shouldn't. 
That's why Jesus didn't flip tables at prostitutes' house. He flipped tables in this house. That's why we don't have tables in this room. Because he done throw them all out the minute we put them in. He starts his indictment against Israel with this phrase, Oh, my people. This crushes me. He's saying, you're doing everything wrong, but I'm starting this call to repentance by saying, you're still mine. You're not mine because you're living right. You're mine because I created you to be mine. I'm going to sit here in your poopy diapers with you. I got a three-year-old, so this is on my mind. I might make a reference to Frozen at some point today, too, because I took Sophia to Hobby Lobby, Christmas Tree Shop, and Target yesterday, and my, I don't know where my daughter gets this need to perform in front of people from. <laughs> Hands out, singing, let it go. And I'm like, where does she get, ja- well, she probably gets this from Jacqueline. Jacqueline loves the limelight, you know what I mean? I cower before it. He starts with, oh, my people. I'm going to call you to repentance. But I need you to know that you're mine first. You're not mine because you live right. I'm willing to sit in your diapers with you, with you already being mine. That's why I'm here. I'm here talking to you about your sin because you're mine. I'm not threatening you that you might not be if you don't listen to me. You're mine. And that's why I'm willing to walk through this with you. We don't have the right to tell a single person how to live if we're not willing to take up residence in their life first. There are no bullhorns or megaphones in the Christian community yelling at people from a distance. You're either in their life long enough for them to let you speak into their life or you don't have the right to say it. Oh, my people. When I know that God has me as his in spite of everything, I'm going to be willing to listen. That's the kind of God he is. That's the kind of people we should be. He says, remember the call to repent doesn't come apart from the already existing habitation within the people who need to repent. And then he says this. Before he tells them what they do, he says, remember what I've done for you first. My God in heaven. Before I tell you what to do, I never do this. This is where I'm the worst. Before I tell you what I want you to do for me, I'm going to remind you of what I did for you before I even ever asked you to do anything for me, when you weren't doing anything for me, when you were actually opposing me. Let me remind you of my love for you before we have any other conversation. What's your stance on this before I come here? That's not the kind of people I want in this church. You're mine. I love you. You're my neighbor. You're my neighbor who murders. You're my neighbor who lusts. You're my gay neighbor. You're my Muslim neighbor. You're my Jewish neighbor, but you're my neighbor, and so I love you, and I'm going to be there for you no matter what. He tells them two things to remember. Number one, he said, remember when I delivered you from Egypt. Well, that's an easy one. Everybody saw that happen. If I woke up and the Hudson River was parted, 
I would be like, mm, seems like the Lord, you know, I'm discerning the Lord is talking to us this morning. We should probably cross. Remember when I delivered you from Egypt. And then he says, remember what happened with Balak and Balaam. Now, judging from a wide range of Bible reading in the room. And I didn't do this because, like, there's any order. Like, they're the best Bible readers over there, although Stuart is over there. And then, like, the worst Bible readers over here because John Powell's over there. Like, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> Bustin! I love you, young man. I'm so scared of him. He has the strongest hands out of anybody in the entire planet, and he's going to shake my hand and rip my arm off later and beat me over the head with it. The first thing he says is, remember Egypt, something you saw happen. But then he says, remember Balaam and Balak. And the short version of the story is Israel is just chilling out in their camp. And Balak, a very evil king, wants to curse them. And so he hires Balaam, a prophet, to come and curse Israel. And many, many chapters brought into one sentence, Balaam says this after many, many times of trying to curse Israel. Every time I go and try and curse them, all I can do is bless them. Because who God calls blessed is blessed. And I can't say otherwise. Now, I think this is amazing because God is saying, I need you to walk in mercy and in justice and in kindness towards your neighbor. Regardless of who your neighbor is. And in order to be able to become that kind of person, you need to remember these two things that I did. That I delivered you from Egypt when you didn't deserve to be, and you saw that happen. But then God is saying, there are things I'm delivering you from every day that you have no idea were happening. Deliverance doesn't get to be relegated to our categories of what we think deliverance is. God delivers you on levels you don't even know exist as a category for deliverance all of the time. Every single day. And that story is there to tell them you didn't even know something was trying to happen to you. And I was stopping what you didn't even know. You didn't even know to pray for it. You didn't know to hope for it. And I was stopping it just because I love you. And for no other reason. Like the serpent on the pole. Our job is to just look at Jesus on the cross. And be healed because of what we see. Not because of what we do. All of us say, I'm going to try better. I'm going to work harder. This is me. This is me while I'm preparing for this sermon. God, I'm going to try and do. And I just had that vision of Moses saying, everyone who's been, gotten bit by a snake, look at the serpent on the pole. When you look at the serpent on the pole, you'll be healed. And then I hear Jesus say, just as the serpent was put on the pole, so is the Son of Man going to be lifted up on the cross. Meaning, the way I get better isn't by trying harder. It's by looking long enough to be changed at the soul level by the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. Trying harder brings discouragement. Looking and being changed is what we're supposed to be doing. Are you saying we're not supposed to try? Try after looking long enough. Don't try so hard like the older brother. I'm going to try hard so I never have to look at the cross. Tim Keller said it best. The older brother obeyed the rules in order to avoid the father. The younger brother expressed all of his freedom to avoid the father. 
And the older brother obeyed all the rules to avoid the father. It's stopping and looking long enough to be healed. So what do we have to do? We have to creatively. There's no call to action in this message today. I just want to paint a picture of what the cross did for us. And I'm just asking that you look at it long enough for something to maybe stir in your heart. If you're looking for an application for work tomorrow, I'm not going to give you one today. Today is I'm doing my best to paint a picture with my words of what the cross looks like for you so that you can look at it and be changed by it and know that that among everything else is what is going to make us into the kinds of people who can love our neighbor first before we find out anything about their life. Keep these two things in mind because there's an amazing connection here. I delivered you from Egypt. You saw that. And then I delivered you from somebody who was trying to curse you that you didn't even know was happening when it was happening. Keep that in mind. Jesus also delivers us in a way that is seen on the cross and then also in an unseen way. So we just read, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn. And I want to talk about this. I'm going to rip through this quickly. None of us are going to be all of these things at one time, nor are we supposed to be. Sometime in our life, we probably will be all of these things. But in our community right now, in this room, exists every one of these beatitudes. In our room right now are the poor in spirit, the mourning, the meek, the hungry, the merciful, the pure in heart, and the peacemakers. They're all here. We're not all supposed to be all of them all at once. They're, part of the, they're a way of describing the Christian community. The poor in spirit, the people, and maybe this is you, maybe these are all areas in life where we get stuck and get discouraged. The poor in spirit, that's you if you're the kind of person who's always trying to get it together and something in life always happens where you mess it up again and your whole life is marked more by the cycle of bad behavior that just continues to happen and in your heart you know you need to do better but in your outworking life it just seems like it's a cycle of disaster. Either you're messing up or somebody is messing up on you in a way that causes you to mess up and it's just that's the story of your life. You, you want to get it together like me. I want to be able to do 30 push-ups. I just can't. But worse than that, because I can, I just don't want to, really. I want to get to the point where I can. I don't want to do the stuff in the middle, like work. <laughs> I don't want to do that. But you're the one who's always trying to pull your spiritual life together. You have that desire, and it's not working. It's the poor in spirit. Those who mourn. The word for mourning, when Jesus uses it, has two definitions. Those who mourn because of their sins, and those who mourn because of tragic loss. So again, those who mourn, if you're in the room and you're one of those people that you know you've made some mistakes in the past and you just can't get it out of your head, no matter what anybody tells you, no matter how many altar calls you've been to, no matter how many 10,000 rivers of oil have been poured on your head, you are just stuck in guilt. It's just mourning and it's churning and it's a knot in your stomach and you know intellectually that you shouldn't have it, but at the soul, heart level, you just can't get it out of your head. You're mourning. Or if you've had tragic losses, something or someone has been taken from you too soon. And you feel like, I know I, I, I want to I wanna get over this, but I'm not going to in my lifetime. You're one who mourns. The meek. Living to consider others and constantly getting taken advantage of because of it. 
Your desire is to follow Philippians 2, considering the interests of others above that of your own. And you do. And every time you do, you get broken by people because you do. And it feels hopeless. And it feels stuck. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Again, those whose longing is to change, to be transformed, to get out of the doldrums, to get out of the dumps. And every time you do, something yanks you right back down into it. And you just can't get that character. You just can't get that discipline. You just can't break that addiction. You're hungering and thirsting for righteousness, but you're always hungering and thirsting. And it feels discouraging. And you feel stuck. The merciful always lending and giving, thinking the best of people, telling them the best about them even when they're feeling miserable, and the favor is never returned for you. And it feels hopeless. I am so merciful and get treated so poorly in response that it's starting to harden my mercy. It's making me not want to be this way anymore. And you're stuck, and it's discouraging. The pure in heart. You know when I look at the clock, when I say something, I have this really good idea in my head, and I'm just looking to see if we have time for it. The pure in heart. I'm going to say something very dramatic about this. Traumatic, dramatic, both. I heard a conversation. I was there for a conversation where one girl was talking about another girl. And we'll call her girl A and girl B. Girl A was saying, I feel so bad for girl B. She's never made out with a man, and she's a virgin. She's so clueless, no guy is going to want to date her because she doesn't know how to date. I know why Moses killed the Egyptian. (laughs) I know the feeling. Because in that moment, you're like, What happened there, and this is going to be the dramatic part, what girl A said in a broken world like ours is probably right. This person's been so pure that they haven't experienced the new social etiquette of dating, whatever the hell that is. (laughs) Yo, I feel like preaching today so much. Like, it's just, they haven't experienced it. And there is a way in which introverts or people doing their best to live pure on many levels, not, not, just, not just that level, but many levels are trying to live pure, they end up not experiencing everything because sometimes sin, even when you get redeemed and forgiven from it, did give you life experience that hopefully you still use and you're a little streetwise for it. Let me tell you, I'm streetwise, all right? There's a lot of learning that went on in areas where I needed to be forgiven. But some people actually do it right. And they don't have experience. They don't know how to communicate well out there. And it's ferocious out there. And somebody who's shy or somebody who's not invasive with their personality or somebody who is not giving in to the indulgences of those around them might actually get cast aside. Now, I wanted Jacqueline to jump the person who said it and beat them down because I'm not allowed to. I want to see that on YouTube by accident. The spirit behind what they said was awful. 
what they said was right. And Jesus is whispering to this girl saying, blessed are the pure in heart. But she's stuck, and it's discouraging. The peacemakers, you have a desire to intercede, to bring restoration and reconciliation in people's lives, talking to you, and it feels completely discouraging because no matter how hard you pray, no matter how much you do, no matter how much right you see or how much wrong you can name, it's still the will of the other person that's going to listen to you or not. And sometimes when you actually have the heart of a peacemaker and you, you're doing, you've set the table for peace, either for someone to realize God isn't this person that you're saying he is. And here's something I want to say by a sidebar. There's a lot of people who have a bad view of God. And they don't want to be a Christian because of their bad view of God. And when you try to present them with a better view of God, they won't let you because they need God to be the God that they hate. So they don't have to be accountable to the God that actually is. And it's not our job to get mad about it. It's our job to get stuck and discouraged. I'm going to tell you why in a minute. But when you actually have that desire for peace... And you set the table. And all they have to do is say, checkmate. And they don't. You can feel stuck. And you can feel discouraged. Now, what I found that was amazing is God says, remember Balak and Balaam. Balak told Balaam to go and curse Israel. And Balaam said, I can't. Because God keeps telling me to bless them. And now Jesus shows up on the scene. And he's better than Balaam. Because in his first sermon, he looks at everything that is cursed, everybody that is stuck and discouraged, and like Balaam, all Jesus does is say, Blessed are the pure in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Jesus is the true and better Balaam who didn't get paid to curse, but was cursed because somebody else, Judas, got paid. Jesus is the true and better Balaam who didn't get paid to curse, but gave his whole life to bless. Balaam got knocked off his donkey because the donkey saw the angel of the Lord in the, in the road. Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey that saw the judgment of God and went right for it and didn't knock Jesus off. So what does this mean? This means that if you're poor in spirit, just trying to get it together, and you come up against that bump in your life where you just can't get it together, Jesus on the cross is saying, and we didn't see this on the cross, we saw some things, but then there's other things that we don't see. Jesus is on the cross saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, because I'm picking up where you can't go anymore. Your, your spirit stops here, but mine went farther for you, and in my spirit, you're no longer poor in spirit. 
I can't get over the guilt of my sin. I can't get over the guilt of my past. I can't stop mourning the loss of the life that I had or the life that I had before somebody abused me or sexually molested me or cheated on me or divorced me or before somebody died. I just, I'm mourning that and I can't get over it. And then Jesus hangs on the cross and says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus hands us his mourning and says, my mourning can bless your mourning. My morning blesses your morning because my morning went past where your morning goes. And you might be stuck and you might be discouraged, but somehow your morning is going to get called up into mine. And I can say, Blessed are those who mourn. The meek, those who consider others and get broken for it and are discouraged and stuck. Jesus on the cross says, I wouldn't break a bruised reed. I wouldn't quench a smoldering wick. I am so meek and I am so God, which means God is so meek that you can pull my beard out and make me bleed. And I'm that meek so that your meekness can be blessed even if you feel stuck and discouraged. When your meekness gets called up into mine, it's blessed. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Isn't it easy now to think of the Son of God himself hanging on the cross saying, I thirst. And we're saying, I want righteousness. I, I'm hungry and thirsty for righteousness. And what does Jesus say? You can't go any farther. You can't give yourself drinks. So what am I going to do? Every Sunday we're going to break that bread and say, my body, this bread is true food. And this wine is true drink. I thirsted so that your thirst can be blessed. The merciful. Where do I get the strength to keep being merciful when every time I'm merciful I get taken advantage of? Ask the thief on the cross who was told he'd be in paradise by someone whose mercy was taking up our mercy. He was so merciful. And he died and even ascended, having not fully seen yet the full fruit of his mercy. And he's saying, if you feel stuck and you feel discouraged because all you do is forgive, I'm going to call it blessed because my mercy will overcome and call up yours. The pure in heart. The people who can't get by in life because you're living right and the world only rewards and only dates and only befriends and only promotes certain kinds of people. Jesus' rejection is why he can look at your purity and say it's blessed. You feel stuck. You feel discouraged. His purity calls yours up and calls it blessed. And I don't even think I need to preach on peacemaking. We have been brought near, and peace has been made by the blood of his cross. Your job isn't to bring re restoration and reconciliation. Here's what I want to say. We're supposed to live like the way that we were saved, which means we're supposed to be deliverers. But we don't deliver people from sin. We deliver people to God and deliver God to people. That's the deliverance ministry that we are called to. We deliver people to God and God to people. 
and we let Jesus and his cross iron out all the stuff that only belongs to the business of God. There's no call to action. There's just a call to stare at that for a little while and realize any person, any faith, any lifestyle, where they're poor in spirit or mourning or meek or hungry or merciful or pure in heart or peacemakers, Jesus has called them blessed, which means that they're not just a blessing, but they're there to bless us too. When you come across somebody who's in mourning, their mourning has been called blessed, which means their mourning can bless your life. We're not supposed to walk around like we have the answers and they don't. We're supposed to walk around knowing stuff about other people that they don't know about themselves. And what they don't know about themselves is there's more working in them than they know. And it blesses us, even though they're not living in it. It still blesses us because behind the Mars and the wrinkles, or as, as Ephesians would say, the spots or the wrinkles, is the image of God. And the image of God always blesses. This is a prerequisite sermon to the values that we should have, but those values should be life-giving, not alienating. Because we're all of these things, and we can't get ourselves out of it if Jesus doesn't look at us and say, oh, my people. We're stuck if he doesn't say that. And there is nobody that God is not wanting to cry that out to. And what if he wants to cry it out through this church? What if he wants to cry it out through this house? I don't want to be a church that rallies and celebrates its stances if it means when younger brothers come home, we won't be excited about it. I want this church to be filled with older brothers who when the younger brother comes home gives them our stuff that now solely belongs to us because little dude went and liquidated everything, done spent all his money, he's coming back with racks of credit card debt, looking real tired and broke, really like limping, he doesn't even know why, you know, you know like when, all right, anyway. So I want to be the kind of person who knows that everything else in my life belongs to me because it's my inheritance, and the minute I see the crest of that dummy's head come back over the thing, here's all my stuff because the father's happy that you're home, so I'm happy that you're home. We'll talk about the rest later. Let's eat together. And that is exactly what's about to happen right now. Let's stand to our feet this morning. We are younger brothers coming home. And the Father is giving us bread and juice. And when we receive such a blessing, then we celebrate anybody else who comes home, regardless of how rough they look, taking the walk of shame on their way back to the house. We still celebrate them because we eat this meal. Until God takes away this meal, which he won't, then we celebrate anybody. We celebrate them first. We love them first. Can you race to my office and get my red book of common prayer that's on my shelf behind my chair? I want to read, I mean, I, I really hope he hurries up. I want to read, <laughs> I hope he can find it. I want to read a particular prayer from it. And so this is a stall moment right now where I'm saying in this, 
in this voice that is like very preachy and like we're in this moment and John will start, you know, tickling the ivories over there and making it sound real nice for everybody. And then maybe, maybe because I'm still stalling, we'll say something like, why don't you close your eyes? Just close yourself in for a moment. Close yourself in. Yes. There we are. Now let's see if I can find it. Almost there. Almost there. Yes, here it is. Listen. Listen. Listen to the order of this prayer. And we pray, give us such an awareness of your mercies, seeing happens first, that with truly thankful hearts, we may show forth your praise. So seeing happens first, then thanksgiving comes second. Not only with our lips, but in our lives, by giving up ourselves to your service. So first seeing him happens, then praising him happens, then serving other people happens. And by walking before you in holiness and righteousness all our days, seeing happens, thanksgiving happens, serving happens, then right living happens. Do you see that? Because seeing and worshiping and serving are right living. We can say, go and sin no more after there's been an acceptance and a love and a care that wouldn't change if the person didn't go and sin no more. Let's be, Holy Spirit, help us to be that kind of church this morning. I pray that you would anoint us to be that kind of place. Give us the ability to value what you value, love what you love, see what you see, hear what you hear, see beyond the spot and the wrinkle and the perversion and see beyond the hate and the destruction and the immorality, to see beyond all of those things, to see our neighbor, our friends, our coworkers, our families, new people that come to, whoever they are, to see them first and foremost as divine image bearers of your glory and to know for them more than they know about themselves and to help tease that out of them over time, to bring them to an awareness of themselves and an awareness of you. I pray that you forgive your church for having judgment first and then love second. And I pray that people would give us a chance it is understandable, Father God, why they might not want to come in here. But I pray that you would give us a chance to try again, to get it right. I pray that they would have mercy on us and give us a chance. Father God, all we can do is try our best. And we ask that you lead us and guide us and teach us and bring us to live rivers of living water and green pastures, not so that we can just sit in the ivory tower of our own blessing, but so that we can learn to live and walk and breathe and speak like you do, Lord Jesus, when you walk the earth. And so 
to remind us of what this kind of love looks like. We're reminded of the night when you were betrayed. And in response to being betrayed, you said, this is my body given to you. This is my blood poured out to you, which means that you can't be betrayed because by the time we betrayed you, we realized you had already given yourself to us. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you fall on this bread and you fall on this juice and make it for your people, the body and blood of Jesus, so that we would know that you could fall on our lives and make something out of it. I pray that we come to this table as younger brothers coming home to a father and that we leave this table the way the older brother should have left the father to go find the younger brother. I pray that we come to the table as the younger brother coming home and that we leave your table as the older brother running out to find the younger brother. I'm going to pray that one more time. Holy Spirit, I pray that we would come to your table as the younger brother coming home to a father and that we would leave your table the way the older brother should have left the father's house to go find the younger brother the way Jesus left heaven to find Adam. Pray that we would leave this church today as a river of life because we're drinking from its delights right now. In your holy name, and everybody said, the table is opened to anybody in the room. The ushers will release you from the back to the front. Come to the table this morning. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.